Welcome to the Sea Trade Maritime podcast. In this episode, we revisit one of the conversations held during Informer Market's first digital maritime week, where Sea Trade Maritime news editor Marcus Hand talked to Steen Lund, council member of the Singapore Shipping Association and chairman of their digitalisation committee. Marcus and Steen dug into what we can expect from the next wave of digitalisation in shipping. So let's go back to that conversation, jumping in with Marcus putting his first question to Steen. To start off with, could you tell us a little bit about what trends you are seeing in digitalisation in the maritime industries? Yes, certainly. What kind of trends do we see? Um, we clearly see a trend of, of trying to determine um, what the mission is, uh, trying to determine how does digitalization hang together with the actual strategy of the company. So the big ticket items we see uh, focus on uh, fleet performance, uh, bunker economics, a uh, number of safety-related initiatives. We see cost savings, of course, figuring uh, quite high on, on the agenda. And, and they sort of drive the majority of the digital initiatives that, that we observe. Certainly a message I'd like to, to get across is uh, that there's plenty of good technology out there. That's, that's not in itself a limiting factor. So it's the journey is really less about... Uh, chasing the trends for, for the sake of technology, and it's far more about determining um, where in one's operation one needs to digitalize to either improve processes or, or reduce costs or provide a better customer experience or, or altogether build um, services that are not perhaps part of the current business, uh, but that can then be packaged around technology solutions. That might for some companies even mean that they reach a disruption of, of either the industry they're in or, or even of their own business so that they can essentially build additional legs to stand on. How that looks is, is probably unique to each company. Uh, you, you, sort of, you, you can't fake it just by trying to digitalize. Uh, it's, it's really about identifying one's core business strategy uh, and then embark on digitalization by supporting and, and improving where those digital initiatives really truly converge with uh, the actual business strategy of, of the company. I, I could mention a few specific areas maybe, rather than talking generally about it, uh, where we see companies spending time on, on digitalizing the risk is, of course, that, that in, in doing that, there'll be a lot I don't mention. Um, and, and that doesn't necessarily mean that whatever I leave out is unimportant, but it means that I have my vantage points that I observe and, and engage uh, in, in the maritime industry in. And, and this is a massively uh, diverse and, and complex industry. Um, so I, I won't be able to see everything. Others have different priorities and relative to those business priorities, they will see different uh, digitalization uh, initiatives that, that to them are far more important. So it, it comes with that rider when I, when I open my mouth to speak about this really. As a ship owner and, and a ship manager in, in, in executive ship management, we certainly observe that um, the journey of acquiring good and reliable data from, from the ships uh, and then bringing them to shore so that you, from that data, can build business use cases is, is high priority for ship owners and, and, and ship managers. And, and, and of course, the foundation of, of, of that is really this 
increased availability of the onboard IoT sensors uh, that, that allow us to, to have this uh, ship-to-shore uh, connection via the VSAT. We see a lot of initiatives uh, about becoming more digitally savvy about uh, the route planning with uh, a number of safety aspects, of course, uh, built into that. Uh, quite a lot uh, can be achieved uh, there also around bunker economics uh, by having an, an optimal route planning. Additive manufacturing is, is starting to be an interesting uh, digital play uh, where spare parts are now being produced uh, via additive manufacturing as, as opposed to uh, via traditional means. Again, in, in executive uh, ship management, we are early adopters on, on a program that uh, Wilhelmsen Ship Service uh, are leading. And, and I find it uh, terribly interesting to see how you can really change around a very traditional way of, of supplying vessels with, with spare parts uh, and becoming far more nimble and, and cost efficient around that. There's a big topic around what uh, classification societies uh, can do uh, and, and are doing. Uh, in, in executive ship management, we use eight different class societies, so we get a lot of exposure to, to where they are um, on their digital journey, and that's, that's really exciting to partner up around some of the areas where they excel. Um, one of the early differentiators was the, the uh, availability of the digital class certificate. So essentially, we are at a stage now where uh, relative to, to flag state approval, of course, we, we can carry the traditional paper certificates in, in a digitalized form on, on board the vessels. Uh, and when a new certificate is being issued or revision is being made, um, we don't have to have the class surveyor get in his car and go down to the port and find the ship and, and deliver that one piece of paper. Uh, we can get that piped on to, to our ERP system and, and hence onto the ship in, in a digital manner. Um, so that saves a lot in, in, in the processes of how we administer everything that surrounds that. Um, and, and if you then imagine a next step that, uh, well, it's not even a next step, it's uh, we're refining where this can go, but everything that, uh, that lies in this whole envelope of, of remote, remote uh, surveys remote inspections, uh, remote audits um, is, is uh, of course, when it relates to class, we're talking surveys here, then the precursor is, is the digital certificate, but it's also a product that comes out of that in as much as a, uh, a survey done remotely without the class surveyor go on board can be immediately followed up with the issuance of the certificate. There's no lag. Uh, the ship doesn't have to to, to in any way wait for a, a document to be issued, we can we can transition into that new environment. So that's extremely practical. And we have just uh, seen MPA uh, commit uh, to, to co-fund a joint industry uh, program on uh, on the topic of remote, if you like. And, and again, I think that's uh, that's one that's worth to to spend some time uh, either today to talk about Marcus if we have time, but but otherwise uh, we are certainly very curious to see this move forward. Um, other trends, obviously, we are seeing uh, then as, as data becomes more readily available, uh, companies are moving towards building uh, data lakes so they can start to do uh, in initially maybe more simple uh, data analytics on, on the data and then over time do more um, sophisticated uh, use of, of, of the data that uh, gets 
stored, if you like, in, in the lakes and from there build uh, BI systems and, and sort of practical forms of uh, dashboard visualization so that the data can start to, to speak to you. Um, we are seeing, I don't know whether this is a trend yet or maybe I'm just hoping it is. Um, we saw a, a service provider, you, you can imagine running a ship management company and, and, and personally I'm, I'm passionate about the digitalization of our company. I think it makes sense to a very, very large extent to, to give uh, additional horsepower to our business strategy that, that we determine where we want to, uh, to digitalize. And, and we've hence had to do and, and continue to do uh, a technology scan. And one of the companies we came across uh, had built a, a really clever chatbot. So in, instead of uh, needing to do heavy duty uh, sort of AI supported data analytics, um, you just ask the chatbot whatever you wanted to know um, because the, the data had been harvested off the ships anyway. The, the data was sitting there uh, waiting to be made use of. Uh, so instead of having to analyze your way through what, the data, what story the data could tell, uh, this particular company had had structured it in in uh, in the response coming out via a, a chatbot. So you could, for instance, just ask the chatbot, you know, what what's been my bunker consumption on on vessel X Y Z uh, the last twenty four hours, and and the chatbot had the answer. Um, you know, what what's what's the speed that my vessel is going at now? The chatbot had the answer. So this is a great way of of sort of illustrating that we can move away from. This, this dependence on, on, on needing to be extremely clever ourselves with how data is, is being manipulated or even away from this dependence on, on the visualization of dashboards to actually have the data just tell you a story like, like we are having a chat now. Um, hopefully that becomes a trend. Obviously for those where, where the journey is about um, communicating price to the customer. Um, there's, there's a lot of price discovery, um, price setting, price offering that either individual carriers they do on, on their um, respective webs or, or that uh, market platforms uh, are building. So without a doubt, that's, that's a trend. We're trending towards getting enough data to start to be able to build towards predictive maintenance uh, super complex. It, it takes a lot, but uh, again, the technology is starting to allow us to go in, in, in that direction. Uh, definitely some trends we see around the use of platforms, uh, so shared data platforms, if you like. Um, and then again, also there, it's a question, once you, once you have a platform in play, um, what do you use? What do you use it for? What's, what's the business case? Uh, and, and, and some of those we have seen that are coming together are, are for instance, uh, great vehicles for uh, improvement of procurement processes where, where you can use the platforms as, a, as an aggregator and of, of bringing both uh, vendors and, 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 uh, and buyers together in more efficient structures than uh, if individual companies were to, to build these solutions themselves. Um, and then, you know, all manner of uh, performance-related uh, data can, can, of course, be procured out of these platforms. Many great ways to, to make use of that, I think. So what's, what's platforms? I, I think what, what I see in it is really um, 
yeah, it's another way of, of, of saying collaboration, right? You, you, can, you can bring shipyards and owners and, and OEMs and engine manufacturers and regulators and ship managers and, and everyone in, in the ecosystem together, right? To, to, to benefit from, from collaborating rather than going it alone. At, at, at times it's frightfully costly to, uh, to, to single source and, and to find a solution yourself. Whereas if you collaborate towards a solution, um, you, you get much further, much faster potentially. Um, in, in many ways, technology really is only useful once once we have mass adoption, right? And, and, and we can start to standardize it. We see it as as everyday experiences on, on our mobile phones and, and, and the like, where we've got tons of, of uh, apps available to us, but they really only make sense once they are commonly used. So in, in another way, uh, once once that uh, digital platform uptake is, is commonly shared. I, I don't know whether I dare to say that um, unmanned uh, vessels are, are a trend but definitely um, working towards the thinking of what it can do, uh, the thinking of what types of rule structures, legal structures, uh, uh, navigational structures you, you need to put in place um, is, is something that has started some time ago and, and that's uh, clearly gaining momentum. Maybe some would have the opinion that, that COVID-19 um, could have accelerated this, and, and and one thing to look at it, one one angle to look at it from is of course that um, we have, as I as I said in the beginning, we 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 have all these problems with crew changes. Um, we have some are mentioning uh, an increase in in mental health challenges. Uh, we've seen examples of of crew uh, commandeering vessels to essentially physically take the vessels home so that they could. Uh, could could get off the ships and go home. Um, there were reports last week of uh, increase in in self harm. Um, so so for those that are that have elected to be uh, wholesale critical about unmanned uh, ships, I, I think there is a there's some topics to to consider also around the the human element of having people on board ships. Uh, at, at least spurred on by the situation that, that we are in uh, right now. A couple more things actually uh, come to think of it. Standardization, of course, that, that's huge uh, in, in terms of a trend. Um, so, so the more we can, again, join forces in standardizing our approach to, to solutions, uh, the faster we will see digital uptakes. Uh, so that that can be things like uh, port community systems where multiple users come around, come together around uh, standardizing those. Uh, it can be about security and secure data exchange platforms and a whole host of other things where uh, standardization is, is is definitely a trend that's moving uh, rapidly uh, across. Then we have this whole topic of, of uh, single windows, if, if you like. And I think uh, Singapore set a, a really good example, again, something to, to build on, where, where this maritime uh, single window that combined uh, both the, the ICA, MPA, and um, uh, NEA's uh, port health data uh, really was a great step forward, where in, in the past, uh, a vessel coming to Singapore would have to report into each of these portals 
uh, and, and a lot of the data was common, right? The ship is the same, the IMO number is the same, a frightful amount of data is, is really the same. Now via the, the single window, it's, it's possible to make a single submission. Um, so I think uh, that's that's something that we would like to see trend far, far, far more, uh, that, that we can have these kind of combinations of, of data uh, structures and state and, and data government uh, governance that can then be shared, and and I know what's what's being worked on in, in that realm is quite exciting. That if 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 you imagine a ship that, yeah, let's let's say uh, Asia Europe ship that leaves China and, and next port is Singapore and then it goes on to to Europe from there, instead of the vessel having to uh, report all these data points to to Singapore uh, in in isolation. Wouldn't it be elegant to see the export data once the ship leaves China automatically becomes the import data plus minus some changes relative to what happens on, on the journey so that, that, that the operator doesn't have to, to go through this single submission into a, a single repository structured only for that particular country, uh, which, which is... Um, a huge amount of, of, of administrative work. If my memory serves me right, I think MPA said that, that just doing this maritime single window was a time saver of something like 200,000 uh, man hours, mind boggling per year, right? So if we can get something like that up to a global level, it would be beautiful. That was Steen Lund talking through a few key areas in the shipping industry where he sees digitalization at play. Steen was talking to Sea Trade Maritime News Editor Marcus Hand during the Sea Asia webinar of Informer Markets Digital Maritime Week. And we're taking a listen back to that conversation here on this episode of the Sea Trade Maritime podcast. Don't forget you can find out more about all Sea Trade Maritime's content online at www.seatrade-maritime.com, where you'll find unique content, conversation, news, and information from around the world. Let's rejoin Marcus and Steen as they dive a little deeper into some of the trends Steen highlighted in his opening remarks. I'd just like to pick up uh, two sort of specific areas that you uh, mentioned within those trends. Um, the first of those being additive manufacturing on 3D printing, depending on what you want to call it. Um, yeah. We are seeing, I think, as you mentioned, a major push in that area, uh, the use of additive, additive manufacturing in the maritime industries. Um, can you describe what sort of benefits this brings to you know, spare parts for ships, for example? Uh, yeah, certainly. Um, maybe I'll, I'll go a little back in time. Uh, we, we had a uh, MPA um, partly funded joint industry program uh, last year, uh, where uh, 10 members of the Singapore Shipping Association uh, joined forces with uh, NAMIC, MPA, and, and uh, uh, then were uh, guided to a very large extent uh, by uh, DNVGL, who has a lot of competence within this, this area, where the idea was really to ask ourselves the question, if we could have additively manufactured spare parts, um, from a demand side, which would they be? Uh, so, so 10 uh, ship owners and ship managers from, from SSA contributed to, to that study. Uh, and, and then we made a conclusion within that JIP of uh, essentially sorting and ordering through something like 600,000 lines of data. So a lot of spare parts were analyzed. And we then looked at uh, which ones um, could 
not likely be at least short-term um, produced via additive manufacturing, uh, which could and and where could the industry sort of just go ahead as it as it were because they were. Uh, easy to produce with, with with very low barriers of entry, if you like, and which would be more complex and, and would require uh, class societies to go through the same rigor of of uh, certification, approval, uh, verification as, as we see in uh, traditionally manufactured uh, parts. Uh, so that was a really good foundation that was laid there. Um, and that has then uh, kicked into gear a lot of initiatives uh, inside Singapore and, and, and of course outside, uh, and and one of them um, was then an early adopters program where, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Wilhelmsen Ship Service they they took then the initiative uh, to call in uh, a good handful of uh, ship owners and ship managers primarily um, to then uh, start to do sandboxing of actually produced uh, additively manufactured spare parts so that we could take the vessels and, and put these spare parts on board and actually verify that they would work in, in an operating environment. Um, so those are, we're, we're in relatively early days in, in that, uh, in, 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 on, on that journey, if you like, uh, but we have ships out there that are now testing uh, the, the easier to use uh, spare parts uh, and, and again, in executive ship management, we are we are part of this uh, early adopters program. <clears throat> Excuse me, we've we've made our offshore fleet uh, available to to this, uh, and and frankly, we're terribly excited uh, about what we see. Um, and why is that? So it's essentially, at times we struggle to to procure a part that we need in a in a specific location. Um, it might be that we've had a, a, an unpredicted uh, breakdown of, uh, of, of an activity or, or a piece of, of machinery uh, on, on the ship, and it's something we don't have a spare part for. And, and to procure it at times can be difficult. It can take uh, a lot of time uh, from, from order to delivery. Um, Potentially, uh, we need to single source it from just one place that it today is being manufactured, and and um, the, the the promises of additive manufacturing is is really that we move towards having uh, centers of uh, additive manufacturing um, production, if you if you like, located uh, along the sea route of where we have majority of the maritime activities. Um, and, and what we are working uh, on in, in this early adopters program is probably something like 20 major locations uh, around the world where we can then, uh, with, with much shorter uh, uh, order delivery times, um, procure our, our spare parts from. So essentially, we, we marry the, the proximity of where the vessels sail and the ports that they majorly call with where we would like to be able to produce spare parts. And the whole idea is then with a, uh, a, a digital catalog, it will be possible to, to order then um, the parts that we are requiring. Um, so some of the benefits, aside from the, the shorter uh, lead time, is, is of course uh, a reduction in transportation costs. Um, we might be able to 
order more specific parts as opposed to whole components. Sometimes when we have a breakdown, it's faster to just replace and more efficient to replace uh, a whole component rather than, than, than only uh, a spare part itself, but that comes at a greater cost. Here we can maybe at times just produce a, a, the, the, the smallest part that, that is required. Um, Attached to the transportation is, of course, also uh, a lower CO2 footprint. If, if you don't transport your goods all the way around the world uh, from very few uh, points of manufacturing and, and that you instead can pick them up wherever the vessel is, then, then obviously you have uh, a lot lower uh, costs attached to the transportation and you, you have a lot less uh, CO2 emission related to that transportation. Um, downstream, uh, we, we are quite certain that we are seeing the possibility to uh, redesign components, uh, products, spare parts, um, and, and, and do these iterations at, at much greater speed, simply by, by virtue of how additive manufacturing works. Um, we have expectation that we'll be able to use material that um, doesn't corrode, that performs better in the operating environment than the traditional uh, materials, um, and, and so on and so forth. So, so I think uh, we, we, are, we, we, we have expectations both to cost reductions, to efficiency improvements, uh, and to the possibility to becoming more nimble around uh, redesigning and, and reinventing how a spare part is, is put together, how it's used. Um, yeah, clearly um, very interesting to get your perspective there in terms of actually the use that you've had uh, with executive ship management and clearly you see a lot of potential benefits here. I think you touched a little bit on um, in terms of ensuring that these supply parts have produced the standards required and what's, what, what do we need because obviously you've got a vast array of different spare parts. And also, do you see a resistance in your experience from, say, the chief engineers going, oh, no, I don't want to use that. I'm not sure about it. It's not what I'm used to. You, you know this industry well, Marcus. Uh, so let's start with the first one, a resounding yes. Uh, and and, and it's, it's natural, right? If, if you're a, a, a superintendent and you are uh, deeply involved in procuring spare parts for, for the vessel that, uh, that you are managing, um, of course, you have uh, the safe operation of that vessel uh, front and center. Um, you come out of having maybe sailed for 10 or 15 years and you have been accustomed to how spare parts are being procured and, and which ones uh, are the ones you want. Um, so so if, if all of a sudden we sort of force feed the whole industry that, you know, just, just take something that's coming out of a printer and you'll be fine, um, you should expect some resistance there. Uh, so to overcome that, what, what we are working towards is to initially start with um, easy-to-use components, uh, you know, plugs and, and things that are not uh, part of, of uh, the machinery per, per se, right? where, where you might be able to make use cases of, uh, of significant um, quick uptake use across uh, the deck uh, areas where, where uh, the, the resistance will not be very significant. Um, we've had got some components that are just traditionally using brass. Uh, brass is expensive and, and in some places around the world, brass is, attat is, is uh, attractive. So it kind of tends to disappear sometimes. Um, and, and 
I guess gets 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 resold out in the in the open market space. So if you can put a, a nylon or some sort of a plastic component into that place, um, and 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 through that you have a cheap product, uh, easy to use, doesn't doesn't uh, uh, corrode, doesn't forgo in in, in any way. Um, and it's not attractive to, uh, to 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 remove from the vessel. Then the superintendent will will say, "Hey, this this works, and I could get this cheaper than than my previous part." Uh, so that has sort of been the starting point of getting something where where we see that uh, the procurement uh, teams and the superintendents will, uh, will 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 buy in, and then move uh, higher up the, the the complexity, if you like. Uh, and of course, very much supported. To, to come to your second question, very much supported by uh, the, the, the the class uh, society, so that we are certain that we document uh, the same verification rigor, the same certification rigor uh, as we have on on the uh, traditional production of, of spare parts. Um, this is not about cutting corners. It's not about you know, finding some easy solutions, n- not at all. Uh, nobody in the industry has any intention to, to ever go in that direction. It has to be uh, as safe as, uh, as, as, as when we procure the spare parts uh, the way we have done in the past. Okay, um, so very interesting to sort of learn about the sort of experience you've had with that. Um, you also touched on the environmental benefits in terms of the transport and so forth. We're seeing, uh, starting to see this trend or a move towards the idea of taking the additive manufactured parts and delivering them to ships on drones. Do you see this as being um, a sort of future model for delivery of spare parts? Yes, um, but it will take time. The uh the payload of a, of a typical drone today is is relatively limited. Um, I believe we're looking at something like f- a max payload of about five kilos today. I hope I'm not wrong here. Um, and, and generally, the way we procure spare parts is that, that we tend to consolidate orders. Uh, it's simply the most economical uh, way to, to, to do that. Um, so, so we often have essentially a, a key site delivery of, of a pallet or, or certainly of significant volumes of, of spares. Um, and, and if we have that or, or if we have spares that are being uh, sailed out to a, a ship at, at Anchorage, um, you know, then, then the boat goes out there anyway. So then there wouldn't be much sense in having a boat go out with, uh, let's say, uh, 200 kilos of spare parts and then have a two kilo package uh, follow on, on a drone. Um, so as long as we're in this environment where um, the payload of the drones uh, is what we know it to be today, then I think the uptake will mostly be around um, those sort of special deliveries, uh, very specific uh, urgent deliveries that, that are within that uh, lower pay, payload uh, threshold. I know a number of companies, certainly one here in Singapore as well, is, is uh, has a business plan to take its payload up to 100 kilos. And, and once that becomes the case, then, then maybe there is, uh, there is more to be had there. Um, but, but then again, we also need to recognize that when it comes to drone deliveries, it, it's, it's very new to the industry. It's very new to all of us. Why should we not have an expectation that also this area will, will see 
technology developments uh, that allow a, a much more significant use. I just think it's it's important to be realistic that if you ask right here, right now, it's, it's not a lot of um, business cases we can build around using a drone. But if you ask about a, a relatively midterm future, let's let's follow this space. Okay. Well, that sounds like good advice. It's certainly something we'll continue to watch. Yeah, as you say, uh, there have been those developments here with a, a company talking about 100-kilogram delivery. I've seen those as well. Um, yeah. I'd like to move to one other area that you uh, touched on before, which was uh, remote surveys. And obviously, I think with the current environment, COVID-19, we've seen quite a push towards doing statutory surveys and so forth um, um, remotely. And I was just wondering, is this something you see continuing in the future? Are there benefits to be had from doing this anyway, regardless of the current situation? Oh, absolutely. Um, it, it's, this is a big theme. Uh, and it has actually been a big theme for, for, for quite a long time. Um, again, class societies to, to a large extent uh, are leading, trendsetting. Uh, but we also see other service providers that are contributing to uh, remote inspection, remote audit, remote uh, survey, uh, well before COVID-19. Um, again, if my apologies if, if my numbers are not right, but I, I seem to remember that one class society alone uh, has exceeded 15,000 15, uh, class surveys. So, so it's starting to become quite normal. And, and this has not been just in this uh, relatively brief uh, COVID-19 uh, period, although, of course, uh, during this period where it has been difficult physically to get on, on board the ships, uh, this has made a lot of sense. Um, but to, to sort of try to aggregate all these different activities that could fall within the uh, categorization of, of remote um, we worked with, with MPA again to seek some uh, co-funding to uh, structure another joint industry program. And, and again, uh, every time I get the opportunity, I, I credit MPA for, for their foresight in, in allowing uh, this, this congregation of, uh, of companies to, to come together to, to grapple with some of these challenges that are very difficult to move forward on our own, but that becomes easier if, if, we, if we cluster our approach. And, and it's wonderful that MPA continues to also uh, co-fund these activities. So we have actually uh, a, a call out there now uh, for uh, yet another joint industry program on this specific topics uh, with sort of very, very um, specific focus on uh, the, the standardization of, uh, of how you operationalize these, these remote activities. Um, and, and what we are trying to, to bring forward here is um, a way that allows ship managers and ship owners to, um, to approach this to become uh, much more normal than it is today. I mentioned earlier that, that we as a single uh, ship management company engage with eight different class societies. And you could imagine if, if these class societies each have a very strong uh, sort of operating guidance towards us as a ship manager, how they want data to be collected, how they want it to be communicated. 
what sort of software needs to to go into this? Uh, maybe even have some opinions about uh, what cameras to use and, and how to use them. It, it becomes nearly impossible for for a small to mid-sized ship management company to 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 effectively respond to that. If if each class society wants to do this in a unique way, then the the risk is we never really get off the ground with more than maybe one. And and. I think that's a shame, and, and hence we approached MPA with this uh, suggestion to see can we actually bring a JIP uh, to life in Singapore where we focus on how we standardize our approach to these things um, so that we we make a, a, a recommended practice that then each of the service providers and technology providers can uh, contribute into rather than insisting on doing it on, on their terms. So, uh, so, so that again is is the foundation that we are trying to lay, um, starting here in Singapore. But, but of course, it's not Singapore unique in any way. We we want to make a, a standard that we can then hopefully take global, uh, and and that then all contributors to and uh, contributors to and, and and users of uh, can can be part of. Okay, uh, uh, I think I just got to follow up on something really there. You sort of touched on the. Like the, the multitude of different standards that people have to sort of, you know, with the different classification societies. And is this part of what's hampering the uptake of remote surveys? Are there other things that are hampering the people from going down this route? I think there's a lot around awareness. What, what do I do? What's required for me to to get started? And and when you when you flip it around and you look at the the real benefits that are. That, that a ship owner, a ship manager uh, can can gain from um, remote interventions, then you know you, you just start with that busy port stay, right? That that today we've got uh, a heap of different uh, activities taking place during oftentimes a, a very uh, condensed port stay. If we could not include for instance, a, a class survey, or if we could not include uh, a navigation communication service providers inspections inspector uh, going on board, and and we could do that at an opportune time to the crew when the vessel is is sailing and we are not so incredibly busy, then that would be a major improvement of of the working processes of of the crew. Um, and, and again, it shouldn't be underestimated what uh, duress, what, what stress they're under during the, the port stays. Um, so, you, of, of course, good data is the foundation for how to then do a remote survey. There's, there's sort of, if you like broadly, the, the two ways, right? There's a, a visualization of what's happening on board the ship where you use uh, some level of camera technology and you either... Uh, you, you, you save that and you send it to shore and, and then someone in authority uh, works with, with that. Or you have a live streaming of, of what you see on board the ship uh, and relative to that, the, the intervention is, is carried out. Um, and then the other aspect is, of course, aggregating uh, data. And if, if, for instance, you take uh, continuous machinery survey as, as, a, as just one example, a again, there's so many activities uh, that, that require survey or, or, or inspection or audit for that matter. But if we just pick out on that one, 
then we can aggregate machinery data in, in a way that is acceptable for the class society to, to receive. And then rather than having a class surveyor get on a plane, travel to an airport, get on a boat, go out to a ship, do his survey and, and go all the way back and then conclude on that and, and spending potentially several days on one single uh, survey on board a ship, we can aggregate all that data from a whole fleet and, and, and then share that with the class surveyor who can then at least post-COVID-19 physically come to our office and we can sit down together and, and we can look at that data and, and, the, and, and we can also not do that. The class society can sit in its office and, and we as a ship manager can sit in ours and we can come to a conclusion. The class society can, can do the survey there for a whole fleet in, in, in an hour or two. I mean, that's amazing. In, in terms of the cost savings, the productivity savings, uh, and, and the release of time that can be used for something more productive on board the ship. Uh, and, and that, in, in essence, is what we would like to move towards by, by um, making more use of, uh, of these tools. I'm going to pick up on something other that you haven't that you mentioned in your um, opening remarks, which was predictive uh, maintenance. And the question is, what items, in your opinion, would be would strategically be important and could be implemented initially under predict, under predictive maintenance? Um, I think one has to really look at the the rigor of the data before anything else. Uh, so obviously, one one needs to build. Uh, a repository of, of reliable uh, data um, before the actual solutions uh, are, are possible to to build. Um, we are not. I'm not speaking out of experience because uh, we've made our our digital strategy in, in ESM, and, and this obviously sits on on the uh, aspiration list, so to say. But we also recognize that um, the journey is is long. Uh, and it is it is not easy unless one wants to just have a single look into a single specific piece of, of uh, equipment, then it's not easy to, to get to the point where you have enough insight uh, to do predictive uh, maintenance. So, so our journey is more towards um, harvesting the data off the ships and getting enough data to start to uh, put together uh, events that are happening on, on the ship that can allow us to then from there do the predictive maintenance. So, so it's not a very specific answer to a, quite a specific question, but that's essentially where, where we are now. And I, I think uh, in all the uh, digitalization initiatives that, that certainly we are looking at and, and so also combined with the discussions we have had with, with many, many companies, uh, in, in the SSA, um, we, we, are, we are concluding that this is, uh, this is the hairy stuff. This is the stuff that, uh, that will take quite some time to get to a point of, of excellence in. Okay, uh, thank you. I mean, it has been described to me as the holy grail of kind of digitalization, actually, that one. If you can reach that point. Um, okay, I'm actually just going to come back to uh, remote surveys again. Um, I think this is an interesting question which is how reliable are remote surveys given you know, how much in-depth you, you know, sort of surveys you need into certain aspects. So, yeah, the reliability 
of doing all of this remotely and being able to probe right into what you need to. It, again, the answer really depends on what what is the purpose of of the survey. Um, you can you can reliably uh, get a lot of good data about a lot of activities uh, that that are on the ship. Uh, and and again, if we if we look at a single class society having already performed uh, fifteen thousand remote surveys, um, then it's possible, and it's possible to do it with the same rigor as one would do when when one goes on board the ships. Uh, so that that's a that's a very comfortable starting point, I think. Um, but but then the question really is: is it data driven or is it um, is it site-driven? Um, a, a remote survey could also fall in the category of, of using a drone uh, to, to remotely access uh, areas on the ship uh, that, that normally uh, man would go and, and scout out, out via his eyes. And again, there, uh, sufficient conclusions have been made from, from um, many surveys having been carried out with drones uh, to, to conclude that uh, that drone sees as well and can conclude as well as a human eye can, uh, but just much faster at a, at a lower cost uh, and with less um, uh, inconvenience and, and time wasted by the ship. So again, each use case has to be looked at and, and it would be unfair to just generally say that it's, it's good or it's, it's, uh, it's, it's bad or it's ugly. It, it is what it is, uh, and, and it is possible to carry these surveys out at a level where one doesn't compromise compared to how they're carried out today. Yeah, that's uh, very interesting to know because I don't think it is key that you, you can replicate that with the same level of quality and uh, depth. Um, I just want to move back to something that you uh, touched on in your, your first uh, in trends, which is um, the autonomous vessel. And the question is, do you think fully unmanned uh, international going vessels are possible? This is, you know, once they're beyond the reach of a helicopter or speedboat or similar for assistance. Um, well, that's a, that's a wonderful question to get because that's really easy to say yes to uh, because the, the question didn't have any timeline attached to it. Uh, so, so I think uh, a tremendous amount of uh, resources are being poured into uh, many different aspects of uh, developing solid vessel autonomy. Uh, we will get there. I have absolutely no doubt. Uh, we will not see that uh, significantly uh, lengthy uh, voyages, uh, international voyages, will be the starting point. And, and why should they? Uh, we need to, like, like everything else, uh, we need to sandbox this first in a controlled environment uh, where, where we know what we do and, and where it's safe to take step after step of, of aggregating the complexity of what, what, what is done. Um, and then we can start to add um, more holistic uh, autonomy. Um, so it's, it's very natural that we are seeing that the first steps will be uh, ferries going from port to port uh, across uh, limited waterways, and, and that we will then build up from there. Um, it's it's uh, it's incredibly encouraging to see, for instance, uh, the the activity level that you have in China now. Uh, some ninety five percent of of all global uh, filings uh, ha have been made in uh, in China relative to uh, autonomous. Uh, 
activities with within ships and, and seeking uh, governance uh, uh, around the ownership of the IP. Um, so, so certainly someone in China believes this is important. In, in Singapore, uh, we have a, a significantly high-powered uh, group that's, that's working on this under MPA uh, to ensure that, that all the right stakeholders are, are giving input uh, so that we, in, in our very congested waterways here, uh, set the, the stage for what needs to be done uh, at, at a local level, but as well so that we can start to interact with uh, actors outside of Singapore uh, to also be prepared for what happens when international vessels come into Singapore waters. Um, so it's it's not in any way a topic that uh, that's that's easy, uh, but again, technology is a, is a great uh, aid in in getting us there. Um, obviously, some huge packages uh, around uh, the propulsion that needs to be uh, addressed, and, and particularly uh, sort of re removing the the machinery that requires a lot of uh, human intervention and replacing that with uh, with. Uh, yeah, for instance, uh, an, an, an electric solution, which, of course, uh, then rules out the, the longer journeys uh, today. Thank you. I shall not um, actually ask you for a timeline on that. Um, it's quite tempting. So um, thank you, Steen. Uh, we really appreciate your time and expertise on today's topic. So that brings us to the end of this episode of the Sea Trade Maritime podcast, where we've been listening back to Steen Lund talking to Marcus Hand about digitalization trends in shipping. We hope you found this episode useful, and of course we'd love to keep you up to date with the latest news and information from around the maritime world. So please do sign up to the Sea Trade Maritime News newsletter at seatrade-maritime.com. You can also keep up to date with other event and industry content information from Sea Trade at seatrademaritimeevents.com. So please do take a look and find out how we help the maritime community connect all year round. So until the next episode of the Sea Trade Maritime podcast, thank you for listening. Goodbye.